Welcome to the Kupinger Coal Analyst Chat. I'm your host. My name is Matthias Reinwart. I'm lead advisor and senior analyst with Kupinger Coal Analysts. My guest today is Alexei Balagansky. He is lead analyst with Kupinger Coal. Hi, Alexei. Good to see you. Hello, Matthias. Thanks for having me again. Great to have you. And we will be talking about a topic that we slightly touched in an earlier episode, but we want to have more focus on that for today. Uh, we want to talk about low code and the question uh, why low code um, should not be low effort. So that, that's the, the starting point. What is low code slash no code in that context, Alexei? Well, Matthias, let me start a little bit from afar. You probably heard about uh, the guy named Konstantin Stanislavsky. He's like a famous Russian theater director and the inventor of the method acting. He once said over 100 years ago that uh, whenever you stage a play for children, you have to be at least as good at it as, as if you are doing it for adults and even better. And at least in Russia, this has become like a guiding principle for doing things for well, children, obviously, and kind of not very skilled people in general. Like you have to, when you're doing something for them, you have to be at least as careful as for the adults or the specialists, but uh, probably even better. And this applies to anything, writing books, cooking, and obviously IT as well. And this is why I think it's really, very relevant for this whole citizen development uh, movement, which has emerged in the recent years. This idea that a company should no longer invest money into dedicated software development teams and processes, and instead let just normal business people without coding skills create their own applications to solve some menial tasks, to create maybe reports, doing small calculations, stuff like that. So instead of uh, submitting a formal request to a development team and then waiting for two weeks, you just open an, a low-code or a no-code tool, uh, do your work maybe in an hour, and then you are done. Great idea. Uh, a lot of uh, buzzing ar around this, uh, a lot of marketing effort in the recent times. So kind of low-code slash no-code is a huge uh, thing, a huge buzzword. People are talking about almost like zero trust and stuff like that. Right. How, how should I think of, of low-code, no-code platforms? Are they comparable or are they something like um, I used to use for years now, something like If This Then That or the, the Power Apps that we have on, on Microsoft 365, where you more or less create applications by dragging and dropping components to each other? Is this the, 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 the notion that this buzzword comes with? Well, this is exactly kind of the problem we are going to discuss today, right? Because uh, just like many other buzzwords like zero trust or cloud or big data before that, different vendors, different customers, or different people in general have very varied expectations of what such a solution should be able to do. And uh, especially for marketing people, this basically means uh, a convenient label to slip onto an existing product and try to sell it for a different audience without putting a lot of effort into actually make it useful and easy and, of course, secure. So yes, all those things you mentioned are basically low-code tools, but uh, I believe uh, in that regard, well, if you create a macro in an Excel table, 
it's also low code, right? Because you don't have to learn a language. You just hit a button to record your steps and then it's done. Some companies go even further and they would say, okay, we have this uh, wonderful conversational AI, a chatbot. You just tell us what you want to do and it will do it for you. This is low code and well, probably no code at all. And others go and say, okay, we have this powerful robotic process automation platform, which is like an enterprise grade and costs probably hundreds of thousands of dollars. But you don't need to, to know Python or Java for it. So it's also a low code tool. Well, the problem is that uh, everybody has a very different understanding, but all those solutions have one major problem. They are essentially existing tools repackaged with a new label. Okay, understood. But um, the, the main idea behind that is to get the developer out of the equation, to, to have the, the, the people who actually know uh, the, the, the business aspect, the technical aspects behind what needs to be accomplished, do it themselves, create the software themselves. That sounds promising and, and maybe even money saving. So, so where are the, the issues that come into place when you, when we talk about creating software just like this? Yeah, that indeed sounds awesome because, oh, if you ever had an opportunity or have you ever been cursed the need to talk to a developer and explain your own domain knowledge and explain, like, for example, uh, an accountant would have to explain to a developer how to calculate taxes. Or, I don't know, a scientist would have to tell a developer how to, I don't know, like parse chemical equations, stuff like that. It's extremely difficult to tell a person who is who has no idea about your domain knowledge but has the coding skills, how to do basically your job. This is why this whole idea of becoming a citizen developer and learning something easy and convenient instead and do your own job yourself is so promising in theory. The problem is that, uh, well, with too much power comes to you know, the great responsibility or what was it that Spider-Man said? The problem is that uh, the tools which are now being offered as well, solutions for those, those citizen developers are sometimes well, way too powerful and allow you to break everything. And this is exactly what we see, for example, uh, in the recent uh, publications. Just uh, a couple of weeks ago, we had even, like two related accidents with one company that's been Microsoft. First, we learned that their Power Apps platform was compromised. Because essentially, uh, you can create well, a business application and you can upload your sensitive data into the data platform. You can even configure authentication and access rights to the application. But due to a misconfiguration, uh, all the data would still be freely available to anyone through an API. And since all those uh, applications are hosted on the same domain and the API endpoint is known, a security researcher was able to identify over a thousand, I believe, freely available databases with sensitive information, ticket data, healthcare records, and stuff like that. All those things which citizen developers would love to put into their uh, handmade apps. And all those data could be leaked, stolen, exploited, you name it. And at the same time, uh, a similar problem happened to a different a product from Microsoft, this time being a 
Cosmos DB in their database. Basically, uh, a few years ago, Microsoft decided to throw in a, a free add-on, Jupyter Notebooks. So every time you create a Cosmos DB instance, you get this free uh, visual uh, environment where you could just run your uh, simple code and let it execute dynamically. And again, this was enabled by default for every customer without any security tools and controls in place. So in theory, anyone could compromise your data, steal your secret keys, and then do whatever they want with your sensitive data. And this is just one company within one week. Who knows how many other similar scenarios are still waiting to be discovered. Okay, but when we look at the two aspects that you already mentioned first, um, the, the term is not yet clear. So there, the, the, this label is applied to lots of different types of software, which are sometimes even just disguised as, as low-code, no-code. And on the other hand, the, the, the power and, and the, 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 the level of, of task that can be achieved. Um, so we have already two issues that, that, um, are some, some obstacle to the usage of, uh, low code, no code or citizen developer, um, work within an organization. Um, I remember talking to Annie Bailey, our colleague about AI and BI. And also, um, there was this AI support for business intelligence, uh, for creating, for, for leaving out the, the, the business analyst uh, out of the equation. Um, but putting lots of power into the hand of the of the of the end user of the of the business user, um, and there were also some kinds of low code no code tools here in place. So that would deal with massive amounts of data, and putting them at danger, as you just described, would be a real threat. So how can you, as an organization, um, do things right or do things at least better when it comes to creating these types of software? Are there recommendations, things to do? What what should I do? Because the idea is, as you said, brilliant, um, put, uh, enabling the, the business user. But how to do that right? Well, as I just kind of mentioned in the beginning of, the, of this uh, discussion, the biggest challenge, I believe, is that the vendors, um, they kind of put an equal sign between low code and low effort. So apparently, the idea that kind of uh, the biggest uh, advantage of a low-code to no-code solution is it should be easy to use, which is technically true. But again, uh, if you just uh, create a weapon which is extremely easy to use and anyone can fire it, it's still not a good reason to give it to a child, right? The, uh, so this, this logic applies to, to this uh, development tools as well. This is uh, truly a massive potential security and compliance risk for any company. So it has to be treated perhaps even as a part of critical infrastructure, even more so than let's say an API gateway or an antivirus solution. Because again, those latter tools are operated by security professionals and the low code isn't, the low code platform is not operated by professionals. It's designed to be used by Again, quote-unquote, citizen developers unguided and unsupported by uh, IT experts. So it has to be at least as secure and compliant as a proper enterprise tool and even better. Otherwise, if you do not follow this principle, you will end up with a huge shadow IT problem, which would kind of dwarf the challenges you would have with cloud shadow IT, things like Dropbox or anything like that. 
Because if you have uh, a tool which anyone can use and anyone can, for example, self-provision to themselves, and then uh, use this tool to connect to several critical systems, HR, finance, uh, customer data, and then just run a script to download all the data, supposedly to make a report, but also to leak it to a hacker. What, what are you expected to do? Who will be responsible for that? And again, this is not a fantasy. This is what happened earlier. And we have uh, multiple examples of these things happening. And unless uh, there is something in that software which would inherently stop it from happening, it will happen again. And you just mentioned two examples. You mentioned HR data and you mentioned customer data. And combining that, having access to that, um, mixing them that um, in, within one application, creating new types of reports, uh, you don't need you don't need a breach for that being dangerous because that would most probably already um, be an issue when you look at data protection regulations because there won't be consent for this. Um, specific usage of this data, especially when it's customer data or um, um, employee data. So that would be really an issue without even having a breach. So these new types of processing, you've mentioned that as as, as shadow IT, as shadow programming, shadow citizen development. Um, this is an issue in itself. Um, so and you've mentioned the shadow IT when, with regards to cloud. Um, the promise of cloud was to get to infrastructure very quickly without the cost. Now we have getting to software very quickly without the cost. But we as security professionals would say, okay, do things right. And that might take longer if you want to do it properly, right? Well, as we have learned thousands of times before, getting to a resource quickly is not a goal. It's just a means to solve a business problem. The pro the, the, again, the problem is that by solving this business challenge, okay, how do I run my calculation quickly or how do I crunch my customer data and find patterns or whatever? How do I send the file to an external person? Uh, when it's not handled properly, when it's not secured properly, it inevitably becomes a huge risk and a huge kind of potential compliance problem. And again, uh, and again, I have to repeat that for citizen developers, for people without coding skills, and of course, without security skills, this is a, a much bigger problem potentially than for quote unquote professionals. We all know that developers and security experts can make mistakes as we've learned from examples like that uh, Amazon F3 debacle, which actually continued for years because of uh, insecure default configuration. It will happen the same and it will happen more and more if, for example, at some time Amazon would offer a low code tool for accessing that data. So it has to be, ideally it has to be prevented in advance. So we often talk about uh, security by design or privacy by design uh, and all those principles have to apply here as well and much more in a much more strict and comprehensive manner than for professional tools. And of course, it has to be a part of a secure infrastructure. It has to be part of a security stack. So if, for example, you are adding a, a low-code platform to a database, well, the database itself has to be secured. The APIs have to be secured because this is probably be the way for access to for pulling the data from the database. 
well, the UI has to be secure so that nobody could inject uh, a crypto miner or a credit card stealer into it. There is lots of things to consider which are which already exist as separate tools. Just kind of nobody can expect your HR or accountant or well, any line of business person to even be aware of those tools. Well, either you have to look for a tool, a managed solution, which has all this kind of delivered to you on a plate, or you have to make sure that your IT department builds this environment for their citizen developers first, builds, tests, validates, vets, and then kind of continues monitoring and patching and updating it. There is no other way. Right, so the overall infrastructure should be as secure as possible to make sure that if you add such a component um, when it is properly chosen, um, can then act and and uh, and conform to your requirements as defined. So maybe one last question. Um, how mature is that market of low-code, no-code software? You've mentioned that these are popping up just right now. They are added on to existing products. Maybe there are sp startups providing new functionality. Um, this sounds like a, an immature market. Am I right? Well, I would not call it immature, but it's extremely fragmented. As I say, it's all now driven by the hype curve because everybody wants to have a no-code tool. And so everybody, every vendor is rushing to deliver one. Some vendors have a huge uh, advantage because they started earlier. I don't know, just one simple example, uh, Oracle. I mean, they're doing their database security for I don't know how many decades, and they have their low-code platform built directly into the database, which is probably available since like 20 years ago. Microsoft. I mean, they also have very reliable databases and cloud infrastructures. Probably just kind of not investing enough into making it this uh, add-on, the low-code platform, secure by default. Again, it is something which can be easily fixed, but it has to be kind of it has to be driven by customer demand, and the customer demand will never arise without awareness. And this is what we are doing today, right? This is what we do daily as analysts. We have to tell our customers to ask specific questions from the vendors. And if enough customers start asking those questions, at least they will provide enough pressure to force uh, a specific local tool to become a little bit more secure by default. And again, uh, now uh, the market is extremely fragmented. The capabilities vary dramatically. Again, one vendor would offer you a glorified scripting tool with a visual editor. The other one will give you an enterprise-grade robotic process automation platform. And uh, another one will probably talk about some kind of an integration platform, basically where you can connect to multiple existing database sources and then kind of correlate the data across them. Wonderful tool for data scientists or business people. But again, it's like it's the weakest link in your data platform, and it has to be secured properly. Right, and I think that that notion of being aware of what is going on, making sure that enterprises, organizations are aware of what's going on and are really uh, applying the right scrutiny, especially to these type of wonder tools that come with with, with huge promises that they are uh, analyzed and, and treated 
just as any other corporate infrastructure. I think that is the most important thought that we can convey. Choose the right product, um, implement it properly, securely, have your environment securely designed, and make sure that you um, apply the, the right uh, governance also to these software processes um, and make sure that the developer and the developed software is is well checked and well quality assured. Um, I think that's the, the most important thing because as this market is so broad, as you've described it with a broad level of variations, um, there is no one size fits all recommendation apart from be careful, make it the right way. Whenever you do something, do it right. right. Any, any final addition from your side? Well, I would say I would want to reiterate that the quote unquote shadow citizen development is an already existing and very tangible risk for your security and compliance posture. It may very well be that your company already has several such solutions in place. You just don't know you have it. Uh, as I mentioned, uh, if you use a, a Cosmos DB database from Microsoft, it already comes with a Jupyter notebook. You've probably never used and never needed, but it has to be disabled explicitly. Same applies to multiple other products and services. So you have to start just like with any other field of security, you have to start with inventory, visibility, and monitoring. And then you can properly assess your risks and understand what you have to do to decrease that attack surface. So wonderful idea, but it comes with a huge kind of uh, dark side. So you have to deal with it. Right. When you think of uh, having an inventory of your enterprise software being difficult yesterday, this problem just has gotten very much more difficult because everybody could be the author of just another business critical software just using these technologies. I want to hint at the at the blog post that you, Alexei, have written around this topic, which um, which um, looks at the same topic and highlights some very interesting aspects as well. So everyone who is interested in learning more about these low-code, no-code platforms and their security implications, please head over to the copingacoal.com web page and, and check out the blogs section and find Alexei's text about uh, low-code, no-code platforms. And if you have additional questions, please just get in touch. Thank you very much, Alexei, for, for, for pointing at that important and really yeah, dangerous aspect, although it's so promising, uh, and for being my guest today. Thank you, Alexei. Thank you, Matthias. And bye-bye. Goodbye.